0: My text for this morning is from our reading in John's Gospel, chapter 1, that we just heard read. Unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who jump right into their accounts of the life and teachings of our Lord, John begins with a prologue, an official introduction, if you will. John begins with these three words, in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? It sure should. The Bible begins with those words, doesn't it? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning is a phrase that points us back, not so much in time, but before time. Before there was a universe, before there was the cosmos, John tells us of one whom he calls simply the Word, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a Word? Well, a Word, whether written or spoken, is the expression of thought. may not seem like it. Sometimes, in my case, it seems like But, But we think constantly, and our thoughts either to ourselves or to others, are expressed in various ways. They're expressed through our emotions, our body language, facial expressions, and so forth. But mostly, our thoughts are expressed in our words, words that are spoken to ourselves and to others. Well, John's implication is clear. Before there was anything else, there was this one that he calls the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So right away we see the uniqueness of our Lord. For while you and I are flesh and blood, as he was, he never existed, or we, I should say, never existed apart from our physical bodies. I remember so well when our children were small that sometimes we would be looking at old family photos of ourselves and our parents and others, old pictures. And sometimes our our children, you know, Four, four years old or so would say well where was I? Where was I then? You weren't. <laughs> what do you mean I wasn't? Well where was I? You didn't exist. I mean try explaining that to a, to a four-year-old if you will. Well John goes on in verse 3 to further identify our Lord. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And how did he do that? Well Genesis 1 tells us that he spoke the words Let there be light. And there was light. Later he spoke to his people Israel following the Exodus. How? Well, through the words of Moses, the lawgiver, and later through the prophets, whose message was not always, listen, I've got something to tell you. No, their message was always, thus saith the Lord. Now moving ahead to verse 14, John tells us more about this one who is known as the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth wow as we used to say back in the 60s that's some really heavy stuff man (laughs) it really is there's a lot in there let's look more closely first the idea of being full of truth the christian faith is true and when i say true i mean it's true truth by that i mean the christian faith is irreducibly historical. It happened in real time and in real space. Not as when we say of legends and fairy tales once upon a time. Nothing like that. And therefore it cannot be dismissed from the real world into the realm of the personal and the private, the subjective. And That's something very insidious in our culture, that we now make a distinction between facts and beliefs. And so, so when we talk about the scriptures, we're, we're talking about, uh, it simply won't work to say that, well, science and history provide facts, but Christianity and religion offers us beliefs as in, well, if that's what you believe, that's fine, that's truth for you. No, not at all. John's claim, like the other apostles, is that the coming of Jesus Christ is a historical fact as true as two and two are four. The Creator, God Almighty, became flesh and walked the streets of Palestine for three and a half years, about as public a figure as could possibly be. His actions and his words were witnessed by thousands of people and are facts that demand to be reckoned with by everyone, everywhere. like tens of thousands of preachers across the planet today. I preach him and commend him to you, not because, hey, you know what, this really works for me and... Who knows, maybe it'll work for you as well. No. We preach him because he really came to earth and really lived and really died and really did rise from the dead and ascended to the Father. And guess what? He really will come back again. And the Word became flesh. In theological terms, this is called the Incarnation which has nothing to do with pretty red and white flowers, called carnations, by the way, but rather comes from the Latin word carnus, or meat, or flesh, which as when you eat chili con carne, you're eating chili with meat. That process began with our Lord's miraculous conception by the Virgin Mary. Now, were we making this up, we would not have done it this way. God would simply have appeared to us from the heavens in majesty and splendor with a host of angelic beings. But no, that's not how he comes to us. He arrives as a fragile, helpless infant. The epitome of meekness and weakness and helplessness. Flesh. We are flesh. The Word became flesh. Flesh speaks of the downside, if you will, of our humanity. It speaks of our frailty speaks of our mortality, it speaks of our weakness. Yet unlike the animals and the birds, we also, however, bear the image of God in our spirit. But like them, we are flesh. The prophet Isaiah reminds us all flesh is grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. And yet the Creator God becomes one of us. An act that William Hendrickson, a great New Testament scholar, calls a deed of incomprehensible love and infinite condescension. He did not put on a human body as we put on a suit or a costume. No, from the moment of his conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary, this one who was and is the eternal word of the Father, by whom the universe came into being, became one of us, exactly like us in every way, but without the stain of sin on his soul. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. You and I never became flesh. We are flesh from the moment of our conception. But imagine if you can, the all-powerful creator of all that is becoming one of us and all that comes along with our mortal bodies, with all their frailty and weakness, with one exception, he was sinless. Until until he went to the cross. Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That statement is something that some theologians refer to as the great exchange. God exchanges Our sin, for his righteousness, dies in our place. That's why he became flesh. As one of us, as the Apostle Peter puts it, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. And you know what? He still is one of us to this day right down to the wounds of his hands and feet and his side. And we will see those one day by the grace of God. John goes on to say, Jesus dwelt among us. That Greek word dwelt is used only this one time in the New Testament. It could be translated quite literally, tabernacled or pitched his tent among us. Clearly a reference to that huge portable structure that God instructed the ancient Hebrews to make upon their exodus from Egypt. It was called the tent of meeting, the place where God would speak to Moses, the place where the Levites, the priests, would offer sacrifices to God for the sins of the people. And as we read in Exodus 25, verse 8, God says to Moses, Let them make me a sanctuary, why, that I may dwell in their midst. Pleased as man, the Christmas carol says, with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God with us. That word Emmanuel comes from Matthew's account of the Gospel. Chapter 1, the words of the angel to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. John says, and we have seen his glory. And that's what John and Jesus and the other followers did during those years with him. They saw his deeds. They saw his miracles. They heard his words of truth and wisdom, all summed up in that one word, glory. Our Lord's glory sums up all of his divine attributes. His deity began to shine not only in his humanity but as it were right through his humanity so much so that as John goes on to say in verse 16 for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace grace stacked upon grace just piles and piles of grace but then almost out of nowhere John surprises us by mentioning Moses the lawgiver in verse 17 and verse 18 for the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Interesting that John refers to Moses particularly as the one through whom God gave the law to his people, Israel, there at Mount Sinai. You recall that when God gave the Ten Commandments and the other laws to to Moses, we read in Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses amid the lightning and thunder said to God, Please show me your, does remember? Glory. Show me your glory. But God said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft, a sort of indentation of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. John's Jewish readers of his gospel would immediately see the significance of this. Jehovah, Yahweh, whose face could not be seen has become one of us. It means that the glory of God revealed in Jesus does not consume us in our sin. Sinners though we are, Instead, it is full of grace and truth. That is, the glory of God in Christ and his gracious gracious disposition to us is ours, yet without him compromising his holiness, his faithfulness to himself. But what about us? What about you and me? St. Paul puts it this way, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where? In the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. There were many thousands who heard and saw Jesus preach. who saw the miracles but who failed to see the light. Who failed to see him as he was. John describes him in verse 10 and 11. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. Well, some did, but most did not. Verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Note that. All that are adopted, claimed by God as his own, are also born again, Born anew, by his death and resurrection, he gives life to our dead spirits. His very life. Something we celebrate at this altar. It is the life of the Son of God that is now our life as well. John's last recorded words of our Lord in chapter 20, verse 29 of his gospel are his words to the disciple that we call Doubting Thomas. Thomas. Who upon seeing and touching the risen Jesus cries out, My Lord and my God. To which our Lord said, Have you believed because you have seen me? How blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So, My question to you this morning is this. Are you hearing? Are you listening? Are you hearing not my words, but are you hearing... The words of Jesus, who is the Word, who has become flesh. If so, what's your verdict? What's your verdict? It's been often quoted, (coughs) pardon me, C.S. Lewis very famously put it this way. As far as our choices, he said we only have really three choices. Jesus is either a liar out of the pit of hell, or he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord of heaven and earth. They're only choices. Good man, good teacher, good moral example. No, those aren't the choices. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. He came to his own, John tells us, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Thomas believed, proclaimed him, my Lord and my God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Peter says this about you and I. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, namely the salvation of your souls. Now that's something worth celebrating, is it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came and became one of us. It's something almost incomprehensible, something we would not make up and expect to be believed. But we know that it's true. We have indeed experienced the Savior's touch in our lives. And I pray for each person here today. I pray that each one of us can say that. And Father, if there's some here today that maybe don't know you in that way, they know who you are, know your claims, but they've never embraced you, they've never received you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.